Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist, and I am your host, Jackie Miller. Today, we are talking about move-away orders and the family court system. If you are considering filing for a move-away order from a judge so that you can move to another city, state, or country with your children, you are going to want to do your homework. I have Los Angeles attorney Adam Chance on this episode, and he is going to walk us through the criteria needed to achieve this goal, as well as the pitfalls and how, in some cases, filing for this motion can actually backfire. Thank you for listening. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist. I'm super happy to have attorney Adam Chance on today. He's going to discuss a topic with us that I get a lot of questions about. There's a lot of confusion around this topic and basically from a legal standpoint, what it takes to win a move away um, in family court. So Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know you're a California guy. Did you grow up here? I did. I grew up in the Central Valley, made it out of there over to the ocean and haven't left since. So. I know. Well, you're you're a surfer, right? Yeah. Can you yep. tell I'm tan? Yep. Yep. I can tell you've been <laughs> you've been out recently. Uh, right. I know my daughter surfs, so so we've lived the surf life. We're lucky to do that, like you said, yeah. being by the ocean. So I know you went to UC Santa Barbara for undergrad. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I'm a gaucho. Awesome. You went to law school at Pepperdine. Yep, I went to Pepperdine. Um, while I was in law school, I clerked for a family law judge. Okay. Uh, during my first and second year summers, and then third year, I worked basically in the courthouse for the judge as well. I've always done family law from early on. I liked it, and I just got into it right after I graduated and passed the bar. Awesome. Well, uh, the reason I asked you to speak on MoveAways is because amongst your peers, you're known as uh, at being good at this stuff. So again, I'm, I'm super happy to have you on and have you share your expertise with us. And I also want to let everyone know that Adam has been recognized as a rising star by super lawyers in 2009, 2010, 2011, 2013, 14, 15, 16, and 18, and was recognized as a super lawyer in 21 and 22. So he's really good at what he does. Um, he's here in the South Bay uh, office in Manhattan Beach, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yep, yep, in the Los Angeles area. So tell us your website. Yeah, it's A-S-C-H-A-N-Z-L-A-W.com. Thank yeah, you, thank first you. First initial. All yeah. right, so let's dig in. I think maybe the first thing I want to discuss is what is the criteria as far as a family law judge looks at when, when they're looking at a move away? Yeah, it's a really broad question. So I've done a bunch of moveaways throughout my career, um, done moveaway trials, done moveaway hearings. Um, and I guess the initial answer to that is it depends on the facts of the case and where the case is in the process. So for example, if it's just an initial separation of mom and dad, and there are no custody orders, then there's one legal analysis that goes into play. That's basically the best interest standard because you have to determine from the outset, you know, hey, say mom is moving out of state for a job and there are no custody orders. Well, in that case, the judge's job is to look at what is in the best interest of the minor child or minor children. That one's easy, right? Okay. Um, it's very broad. I mean, it's not easy. I, first of all, backing up, it's very hard to be a judge on a move away case mm. because it's very much an all or nothing type thing. I, I have heard people in the community 
family law community refer to move away cases as kind of like the oncology ward of law because children suffer. They're going to be away from one of their parents more than the other. And yeah. even the moving parent inevitably is going to not see the child for some period of time as well. So it's really hard and um, stressful to make these decisions. So I, I don't want to trivialize it and say that that one's easy. It, what I mean to say is a best interest standard is very sort of broad and general, and the court can consider basically anything, right? Yeah. So that's the first scenario, initial custody order. Here's where it gets more tricky. So if you have a current custody order and it's a final custody order, meaning a, a permanent um, Montenegro order, we call it in California, where basically to change custody, you have to show a substantial change of circumstances uh, in order to even modify the order. And that's an initial threshold showing you have to make. Uh, certainly uh, someone moving out of state would qualify as a change of circumstances. But then you get into uh, two separate legal analyses based on what is the custody schedule in the mm -hmm. final order, right? And it's, and it's very different in terms of what the court's going to look at. There's two scenarios. First scenario is shared custody. The second scenario is the one of the parents has primary custody or sole custody, and the other parent has visitation or maybe even no time with the child. Mm. So based on those two uh, types of orders, the legal analysis is very different. The um, shared custody order is almost the tougher case for a judge okay. uh, because these parents and this child is spending frequent and continuing time with both parents. And inevitably, if a parent moves, then that time will be at least the frequency alone will reduce. And sure. that's always bad for kids because all the research says that children should see both children, you know, relatively often. So, I mean, I have cases and I've had cases where someone moves out of state or out of the country and the child ends up living with one of the parents and going to school there and then essentially spending all of their vacations like summer break, winter break, spring break with the other parent. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not ideal. You know, the child doesn't get to see either parent uh, regularly enough, but that's the best we can do under those scenarios. So uh, under the shared custody situation, um, the court does what's called a law mouche analysis. Okay. It's, it's a famous case in California. It's spelled L-A-M-U-S-G-A. Everybody can look it up online, um, the, the famous law mouche factors. Sure. Um, but essentially, uh, it's, it's sort of a best interest analysis. You know, the court's going to look at primarily what has been happening and how do you preserve the stability and continuity of the custodial arrangement. And it's going to be hard to do that, depending on the distance of the move, how old is the child or the age of the children, how good is the child or children's relationship with the parents. Mm. And I think one of the most underemphasized factors in all this move away jurisprudence is which parent or parents is going to facilitate a good relationship between the children and the other parent. Yes, because I have seen move away cases um, decided on that factor uh, quite a lot where um, there's an ongoing pattern, perhaps, where one parent is not facilitative or actively mm -hmm. thwarting the relationship with the other parent mm -hmm. um, and the child. And, and that can be end up being a really big factor. So what I always tell people is, um, hey, you want to move, you better make sure you're being a real good co-parent. Yep. You better be an all-star co-parent. You better go out of your way. Oh, well, the other parent's very difficult to talk to. You yep. know what? They make email. They make our family wizard. They make text message. 
put it in writing, show how good of a co-parent you are, share information, um, try to get along, you know, because that's going to maximize your chances of moving if that's what you want to do. Absolutely. And, and then the same token, uh, you know, if the other parent is moving and say my client is making a play for the children to stay with him or her, mm-hmm. you know, same advice, be the all-star co-parent, go out of your way, because not only just for strategic move away stuff, but also because the children benefit from it, right? right? Children benefit from parents getting along and being all-star co-parents. You know, say the parents don't get along, that's fine, but Shaq and Kobe didn't get along, but they also (laughs) played on the same team and they did a great job, right? And they won games. So that's, I always tell people that. So that's the shared custody. The other scenario, scenario two, is if one parent has primary custody, well, what is the law there? Well, that's a different one and it's kind of vague. In, in the case law, and a lot of people fight about this. So um, say dad has every other weekend and Wednesday overnight, okay. and mom has the rest of the time, okay? Well, is that sole custody for, for mom and visitation for dad, mm-hmm. or is that shared physical custody? And, and, you know, shared physical custody, so you do la mouche, or is it sole physical custody, so you go down the other avenue? Uh, and I see. There, there is case law on it, but it's a little vague. And then bleeding into that is, well, okay, maybe dad is not exercising all his weekend custody, or maybe he foregoes his Wednesday nights because he goes out with his girlfriend and has steak dinners on Wednesdays Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. What are they actually doing in real life versus what does that piece of paper say? Because that could factor into what the court decides uh, is the legal analysis. So if it's a true sole physical custody to mom under that scenario, because Mm -hmm. maybe dad's foregoing time, then mom would have a presumptive right to move under Family Code 7501. And it doesn't mean mom can just pick up and move, though. She still has to go to court and get a court order permitting her to move and relocate the child. And, and and just to be clear, we're, we're talking about moving the child. Obviously, mom can right. move any time. There's no restriction on her right. whether or not the child can move. So under that scenario, even though mom would have a presumptive right to move under California law, dad still has an opportunity to try to show that there would be detriment to the child uh, if the child were allowed to relocate uh, with mom. Sure. And what is detriment? Well, maybe mom's not the all-star parent, right? Maybe mom is really kind of a terrible parent and um, doesn't really get along very well and doesn't share information. That's one factor. And maybe another factor is the child has a whole support network in the current location, like a therapist and you know, great support system, friends, teams, sports teams, whatever it is. And dad says, well, you know, look, the whole life is here. It's really, it's, you know, it's, it's detrimental for the child to relocate with mom. Right. And there's a whole litany of cases that are published decisions in California where um, the non-custodial parent has been able to uh, successfully prevent the child from relocating. And, and in fact, La Mouche was uh, a case where the basically the custodial parent was disallowed from relocating um, the child. But yeah. under the second analysis, the pr- presumptive right to move, if the non-custodial parent is able to successfully show detriment, then you shift into the next analysis for the court, which is essentially a best interest analysis. And the, there's a whole bunch of factors and cases that say what to look at. But uh, at the end of the day, all these move away cases are very fact specific. And it's really hard to give really good advice without knowing more about what is the history between the parents and the child. 
What is the parenting schedule? There are so many factors that go into it sure. and each case is different. Um, but what it, what isn't different and what's very important is to figure out which legal analysis applies because that's going to guide your presentation of evidence to the court. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, and so what I'm hearing you say is if you even think that this is something you want to pursue, obviously you're going to want to sit down with an attorney and decide um, which avenue you're going to take because it can look so different. And I love what you said because obviously I am not an attorney and I do not give legal advice, but what I do talk about with clients is what I see people needing to usually talk about their attorneys with. And so all of those rules apply. Yes, pretend a judge is reading everything you write to your co-parent. We often talk about strategy that you better start, you know, say it is mom that wants to move away, send in dad photos of kiddo when they're doing important things. If you're with the kid, you know, child more often, you know, I, I mean, we come up with all kinds of stuff, you know, start making birthday cards with them for dad, start, you know, communicating everything that's going on, show that you keep the other parent in the loop all the time. I always say your pro column, pro you column needs to be two or three times as long as your, whatever he's going to say that's bad about you or the, or whatever you have bad to say about him. So the right. judge is going to look more at the pros, what you're doing positively. And, and, a, and a child should be so lucky to have both parents show up to a sporting event. You know, I mean, even if they're not getting along for the child to see both parents there um, supporting them, you know, I mean, that's really because all the research shows that um, children of divorce are definitely impacted by it yeah. in different ways. And as a co-parent, your your biggest job, I think, in my opinion, is really supporting the child and trying to limit any fallout, um, yeah. whether you know, not just divorce, but also, you know, non-marital couples that split up. Same sure. scenario, you know, because sure. um, that that's that's the biggest job, irrespective of move aways or custody battles or anything else, you know. So um, the other point, though, and this is the last thing I'll say about the law. You know, I'm, an, I'm a lawyer, so I geek out on the law. But the, no, this is what we need to know. Please go. Yeah, <laughs> in, in, in this situation where if you're able to convince a court that you are a sole physical custody parent where you have the presumptive right to move, then it becomes a lot easier to move because even if the court is persuaded that detriment has been shown um, there's some ambiguity in the law, but whether or not the non-custodial parent is entitled to an evidentiary hearing to present evidence is sort of up in the air. There's mm -hmm. a famous case called Brown and Yana, um, where it essentially discusses whether an evidentiary hearing is permitted uh, for the non-custodial parent under that scenario. And the facts of that case were really sort of an outlier, I would say, because that parent who was the non-custodial parent um, basically had no legal custody and no physical custody, um, yeah. a very limited visitation. So, um, but definitely uh, didn't have legal custody. And I think that was a big one. So the court, the case went all the way up to the California Supreme Court wow. and they basically ruled on, on those facts because the non-custodial parent didn't even have legal custody and wasn't seeing the child very often, if at all, uh, that in that case, that parent was not entitled to an evidentiary hearing. So what does that mean practically? Well, under the, that scenario, the moving parent was basically granted the right to move without going even through the, you know, the court process and navigating through the, the litigation system, which is nice, right? right. So um, because it's expensive and time consuming. So yeah. it's almost sort of like a a backdoor, immediate, you know, don't pass go, you get to move type thing. 
Sure. So um, that's always the best case scenario for a moving parent. But it's very rare that you have a case where uh, a parent doesn't have shared legal custody and sure. at least some visitation rights. So almost every move away case falls into this La Mouche type place mm -hmm. where the court's supposed to consider all these different factors. But then on top of it, um, there's other things. Will the court consider whether or not this is a good faith move or is the moving parent doing this in bad faith to try to thwart the relationship between the children and the non-moving parent? And there's there are published cases where the, the court determined that did happen and therefore the move is not happening and the children stay here and good luck moving parent, but children stay here because you're moving in bad faith. The court also will consider any type of economic factors at play. For example, if the moving parent is taking a job in the state of Washington because it's a good paying job with good benefits and it's better than what they have here, you know, that might be a positive for the moving parent. But if the parent is moving to Washington to, you know, join a commune and live in a teepee and, and weave baskets and not work and giving up this great career here in Los Angeles, right. the court's going to consider that too, you know, but, but the one thing for sure that the court has to do, and this is emphasized throughout all the cases, is the court has to assume that the parent who's moving is actually going to move. So in other words, the court won't say, well, we, we're not sure you're going to move, but if you do, here's one order. But if you stay, here's the other order. It, essentially, it has to issue a decision based on the moving parent actually moving. Okay. So it's it's not going to say, well, mom, I know you say you're going to move, but I'm just going to, I'm going to abstain right now and not rule because it doesn't seem like you're going to move and you're not sure when you're going to move. The court actually has to issue a decision okay. and make the call. And that's why it's so hard being a judge because you can't punt, right? You can't say, well, man, maybe for another day, if and when it's actually relevant. Well, no, this parent has filed this request. Here's the evidence. You got to make that hard call about where these kids are going to live. Mm -hmm. And and that's hard, you know? So I So this explains a lot because I had a client who had a case who had asked for a move away. The judge decided it was in bad faith. Mm -hmm. um, it was something that she had no clue, no expectation of, I guess. And so they had sort of, from my understanding, put in this request that, it, you know, if the judge granted the move away, great, they'll move away. But if not, um, they'll just keep the custody status quo mm -hmm. and and she would stay. Well, it sounds like what the judge did was what you described, because even though dad did not want full custody, Mm -hmm. She gave dad full custody. And so I guess everyone's sitting in the courtroom with their jaws on the ground, including dad, because he didn't ask for full custody. But she said, well, I'm assuming you're moving away. So dad gets full custody. Have a nice life. And, you know, and, and she was in shock. She walked out of the courtroom and had, you know, like probably 60, 40 in, in yeah. her, you know, favor custody and, and now has none. And like, and what's my next legal move? So yeah. we were all really stumped at that one. But that explains a lot, Adam. Yeah, and going going into it with with that expectation in mind that the court is absolutely going to modify custody no matter what, um, you know. And again, it's based on facts of the case. It sounds like in your situation, um, you know, obviously I have no knowledge of that case, but right, um, you know, the court in the court's wisdom decided that mom was not the all star parent, and um, for whatever reason, whatever the facts were decided that maybe the child or the children were suffering because of that and elected to change custody based on that, you know, regardless of whether mom was moving or not. And mm -hmm. that does happen. You know, if if the the showing by dad was so strong that mom was essentially bad mouthing dad or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it was, 
judges are pretty quick to, if they get a whiff of that in the evidence, they're going to change custody. And that's why I think it's so important to have good professionals involved like yourself or, and a good lawyer who can really help behind the scenes plan and prepare a client going into one of these things. Because I always say with a move away, you really can't unring the bell. Once yeah. you file that request, that train is going down the track yeah. and you're going to get some orders. So you got to get ready and you got to marshal your evidence and, and basically be as prepared as you can. Sure, sure. And and on the flip side, another case where she did move um, when move away and I said, what do you think the factors are? And she said, it was it was the pro column. She said, I just made sure that it was the it was a small, it was a baby. And I made sure I informed dad of every single thing for solid foods, first crawling, first whatever, first like, you know, mm -hmm. birthday cards, whatever it was, like constant forming dad and involving dad in everything, even though he he wasn't showing up for the kid, did it anyway. And judge said, you know, you're a mom that sounds like you're going to keep dad involved in kid's life. And yeah. so and, I'm I'm comfortable with this. And, and think about it this way. Here, let me give you a hypothetical. Say you have two parents that have 50-50 custody. And one of the parents is taking a job in another state that's demonstrated to be a good job. It's a good faith move. Everything else is equal, though. They've had 50-50 custody. But one parent goes out of their way to be a good co-parent, that all-star co-parent who's always communicating, always supportive, always paying half of un uninsured medical bills, always paying half of extracurricular activities, always doing things for the child. And the other parent is not doing those things, right? Yeah. All other things being equal, which parent do you think the child's going to live with after that trial? Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. So exactly. it could totally carry the day. It, it, it really is very, very important in so many ways. Yes. And and like you said, if the side effect is that they just kind of start to get along better, whether they, <laughs> whether whether you sort of want to or not, I guess is what I'm trying to say, then great. Then great. If that's what the kid feels and if the kid sees, you know, then great. And and yeah. I get that that you don't necessarily have to feel that or <laughs> or or you know, love this other person, but it's like you said, if the side effect is that the child's feeling that, then yeah, that's but great. It, it can also be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I've seen yeah. cases where parents were like oil and water. And then one day, one of the parents started doing the right things. And the other parent says, wow, this is nice. I'm going to start doing the right things and getting along with this parent. And five years later, they're getting along like they've never gotten along before, right? Yeah. Because it took someone to offer that olive branch or whatever it was, right. even if they were doing it in a, in a strategic way, that right. they thought was helping them in litigation or whatever. I mean, the, the, it can only be good. So yes. that's why it's as a practitioner, it is very frustrating to see time and time again, either my client or the opposing client not be able to co-parent in a way that's healthy and good sure. for their children, because it's just never good yeah. on yeah. all levels. Right, <laughs> right. Know? Never good. And uh, so it brings me to my next question. And I think that I'm quoting the right code, 3042A, I hear a lot of people say, well, my child's 14, can't they just choose? And so I want to elaborate on this because I know I sent you an email and I said, I feel like this code's kind of BS, and I'll tell you why. Um, and this kind of speaks even just to custody, not moveaways. But like I said, tell me if I'm quoting the right, the right code, 3042A, if a child's at least 14, the law allows a child to state a custodial preference unless the judge believes doing so would be detrimental. So in the cases I see, even if judge does listen to kiddo, 14, 15, 16 years old, if the other parent, say, wants 50-50 and child said, no, I, I'd rather live with one parent Monday through Friday and go to school, I'll see the other parent on the weekend. So that's what I would like. That's better for me. 
if parent B says, no, I want 50, 50, I don't care. To me, the judge doesn't give a shit what the kid thinks. <laughs> he gives the parent what they want hundred percent of the time. That's what I see. But again, I have, you know, I feel like I have a very specific uh, clientele, you know? So what are yeah. your thoughts on that? I mean, I've dealt with this issue a lot. I've had a lot of 14 year olds, even 12 year olds or 16 year olds, you name it. And the way it works now, nowadays, down at the courthouse, is if there's not minors counsel involved um, and one parent wants the child's preference to be heard, um, then what the court will inevitably do is order either a parenting plan assessment one or a parenting plan assessment two, which basically means the child comes into court, talks to a social worker who's employed by the court and expresses their preference and the reasons why they have that preference. And then that social worker will then in turn probably write a written report. If not, will provide an oral report to the court on the record in front of the parties and their lawyers. And um, depending on how well-reasoned and how informed and mature that child's opinion is, the court will either consider it or not consider it. Um, and again, very fact intensive based on the facts of the case. You know, it may be that, you know, there's there's a shared custody situation and the child wants to live or spend more time with one parent over the other parent. And, you know, what are the reasons for that? Is it because this parent that I don't want to live with as much has more rules? You know, I have to go to bed by 10 o'clock at night and I can't eat junk food. Yep. Or is it hey, that parent is never there. And when they are there, you know, they never get me to practice on time. And, you know, so it, it, what are the reasons why that child has that opinion? Mm -hmm. And that's really what the court wants to hear. And the social workers trained in getting to that um, description for the court. And ultimately, I mean, I have seen preferences of children being um, incorporated into court orders. Okay. But at the end of the day, it's, it doesn't carry the day. I mean, the statute says that, you know, the court shall consider and give due weight to. So the court has to consider it, but never is the court ever going to basically just rubber stamp it. Okay. And, and the same goes for, you know, if you have a custody evaluation and you have an opinion from an evaluator who's got a PhD and is really smart and writes an 80 page report, you know, the court doesn't rubber stamp that either at the end of the day, if there's a recommendation. I've seen countless times where a very expensive, well-reasoned child custody uh, evaluation report uh, and recommendations is not adopted by the court and it's rejected for various reasons. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's a, a PhD. That's not a 14 year old. That's someone who's trained in this, right? Right. So, and ultimately that's how our system uh, is, which is that the person with the black robe makes the call, yeah. right? It's not the kid. It's not the PhD. It's not the lawyer. It's not the minor's counsel that represents the child. Um, the person in the black robe, their job is to hear all the evidence, weigh it, and apply um, the law to the facts in their sure. view and make the call. So, do you, do you see a, maybe this is hard to answer because like you said, specifically when we're talking about move away, things circumstances can just really range from, from one end of the spectrum to the other. But do you see a big swing in the way judges rule just based on like their personality? Because I kind of what I hear you saying is 
it's really a crapshoot. And that's what a lot of clients see. Like there's no rhyme or reason. They're trying to follow rules. They're trying to like do things that are best for their case. And at the end of the day, they might not listen to minors counsel. They might not listen to the, to the social worker. And it just all seems so random. Like, what are your thoughts on that? It's a, it's a really good point that you raise. Um, I, I tell people, look, no lawyer can guarantee an outcome or, or a result for a client. And if they do, um, you're probably talking to the wrong lawyer. Because yeah. when you go through this process, there are so many uncertainties and unknowns. And um, you just don't, I mean, you might be in front of one judge and then your case gets transferred to another judge right before the trial starts. And so yeah. you have a whole new judge hearing hearing your case. And and so there's so many factors at play and it's it's really hard. And that's why I think one of the big things that people have to consider are forms of alternative dispute resolution, like mediation, settlement conferences, things like that, because you can have control over your outcome in that process. And if you have the person with the black robe on make the decision, you have zero control. And oftentimes that person doesn't know you, doesn't know your co-parent, doesn't know your child. They try to get to know them and they try to make the right decision, but it's a really heavy burden and a stress on a judge to try to make that decision. And frankly, it's probably much better made by the parents. And that's why going into an alternative dispute resolution process is almost always better. The problem is you have cases that that's not going to work, right? Like a move away. No one is going to go into that and say, Oh yeah, I want summer, Christmas vacation and spring break and you can have the rest of the year. Yeah. Why would they agree to that if they think they have a reasonably good chance of having the opposite? Yeah. You know, because it's more time with their child or children. And so there are certain cases where it's really tough to reach a, a resolution informally. Court is is rife with uncertainties. Yeah. And it's it's very difficult, even if you have the best lawyer, the best accountant, the smartest judge, uh, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And there is never really justice served or I shouldn't say justice served. It's just it's just you're not ever going to get everything you want. I've never seen that happen, you know, right. or very rarely in a case or, or if it did happen, it was literally 10 years in court. I know one one woman who kind of got everything she wanted, but it took 10 years um, to sort of prove what she was she was trying to show the court. And I hear that a lot. Like, how do I make the judge see fill in the blank? And I'm like, oh, boy, <laughs> that is yeah. that is I, I, I don't you probably won't. Um, yeah, you know, even if you have good reasons and the other parent is very scary, it's going to take a long time, a lot of resources and buckle your seatbelt. Yeah. I mean, people have this perception if they have no familiarity, especially with family law court, that, hey, this is America and we have this great court system. And I watched Perry Mason and, you know, right <laughs> always wins and wrong always loses. And, you know, it, it's not like that. No. It's really not. There's a no. lot of nuances. There's a lot of things that the law has that maybe people don't think makes sense. And you know what? The law doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes. There's a lot of gray areas. There's unpredictability, um, uncertain outcomes. And it really can come down to, you know, in your example you used earlier, maybe mom sent one really crummy text message to dad or, or mom sent, you know, a text message to a third party saying bad stuff about dad or whatever it was. And maybe the court just looked at that and said, wow, 
I saw one of those. So there are probably a bunch of other times where it wasn't written, but it was said. So mm -hmm. I'm going to make this decision. And you, you don't know what's going to trigger someone who's a judge uh, right. in situations like this. Right. Um, so it's it's it can be quite a challenge um, going through the process and, and trying to be right, because if you're there trying to be right and, and just on principle, that a courtroom's not the place to do it. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. It's right does not always win. And in fact, no. right can lose. Right loses sometimes, you know. Right, right I'm does sure lose. You've seen it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you said something earlier I wanted to come in too. Even if you did win that move away, I'm sorry. People say to me, wait a minute, he might get the kids for a month and a half in the summer. And I said, yeah, that's because they're trying to equal out, you know, time shared with, you know, or no, you might not see him ever any spring break. He might get every spring break or every whatever, you know. Um, so, yes, that is a very uh, stark realization, I think, for yeah. some for some people like moving away doesn't mean just the kids are with you all the time. They're gone from you for large chunks of time so that they can get that time with the other parents. So. And add into that scenario, the person who the children are living with during the school year, that's the work time. You're doing homework, you're getting them to soccer practice, you're going to open houses, you're going to sporting event. That's hard work. Yeah. During those eight or nine months a year, nine and a half months, that's work. The other parent, you know, who's the, the holiday parent, we'll call it, that's more fun time. Summer yeah. break, Christmas vacation, spring break. And very often, if you have shared custody, that's the schedule you're going to get where one parent gets the work time, the other parent gets the vacation time. Mm -hmm. And so you got to think about that too. And it, you know, it's, it's hard if you're stepping right. up and signing up for the work time, you know, that's a, that's the laboring or I would say versus the summer parent and the Christmas parent where there's no homework, there's no reports due, you know, there's it's so, so that's a really important point too. And people have to realize, especially if they have a shared custody situation, that's pretty much going to be the order mm -hmm. unless you have a really outlier situation where one parent's really awful and the other parents just granted sole custody year round, but that doesn't almost ever happen. It has to sure. be really bad, such as in a case of, you know, drug abuse or really manipulative, bad co-parenting or whatever it is. Sure, sure. You know, and then I have one other question for you because you mentioned the, is it PA1 and PA2? Were yeah. the social? Okay. So, and those are sort of more or, or shorter evaluations. Am I correct? Yeah, it's sort of a fast track child custody evaluation. The, the okay. PPA one is just a one day interview. It's probably about a half day. Okay. And um, it's sort of surface level, talks to the child and just reports back to the court. The okay. PPA two is a two day process. It's supposed to be a little deeper dive into the facts. So they will contact third parties, like maybe a teacher or a, a friend's parent or, you know, people you ask that person to talk to, mm -hmm. but it's still very surface level because you can't really ask too much from a social worker who works at the court who has a bunch of other stuff to do you know to do a, an extreme deep dive into a child's situation sure. that's more what a, a custody evaluation is for well okay and so on the subject of custody evaluation so say there's a case that looks like it has a pretty good chance a couple of attorneys come say you know what the parent who's moving away has really good evidence that they're the parent that does everything, blah, blah, blah. They have great reasons, you know, for all the La Mouche, you know, criteria, but other parents say maybe a little vindictive or just doesn't want to lose. So what are all the, the possible things they can do to drag this on forever? Can they request a full custody evaluation that's going to last a really long time? What have you seen that are sort of the plays on the other side that try to stop the, this move from happening, even if they have a good chance of losing? Yeah. If, if the parent, um, if a parent does not want the move to happen, they can definitely slow roll it 
and ask for a custody evaluation, ask for, and that's always the tension, right? Because one parent's always like, hey, got to go, got to go. And the other parents wanting yeah. to really try to do everything they can to prevent it. And that's, again, that makes the judge's job tough because the judge ha has to, at the end of the day, balance those two uh, tensions against each other and decide. And it may be that the court says, oh, go talk to the social worker at the courthouse and do a PPA too. And by the way, the next availability is in 120 days from now or something. Right. Right. But then yeah. after that, I'm going to make a decision or, you know, I don't think I need an expert to weigh in on this. I don't need to hear from the child. Let's set you for a hearing. I'm available in 60 days. Come present your evidence and then I'll make a decision. Wow. And, you know, I, I think that Lately, I've seen that custody evaluations are falling out of favor a little bit by the court. Okay. I've heard that more and more, which I'm yeah. kind of encouraged by. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, they're expensive. They take a long time. And at the end of the day, yes, you get a lot more facts and information from a custody evaluation. I think the process is valuable. But um, I also think the judges are pretty smart and they put their time in and learn kind of what's going on based on all the evidence that's presented to them. Mm -hmm. So, but again, to your point, if you want to drag it out, obviously a very good choice would be to ask for a custody evaluation and um, present as much evidence as you can, because that's your opportunity to try to persuade the court sure. and, and get all that considered. So sure, it's, okay. it's, it's a, it's definitely a, a process. No, no two cases are the same. Right. Um, and in fact, if you have the exact same case and you go to one judge, you could have a totally different outcome as you would from another judge, depending yes. on, you know, their view of how to apply the law. And, and by the way, both judges could be right and not appealable because that's just their interpretation of the law. And right. it's within the range of what the law provides. Yes. So a minefield. It is. It is. And it, you, that is such a good point because I tell clients often if they'll say, I spoke to two different attorneys and one said to do this, one said to do that. And I said, that is why it's called practicing law. Just like practicing medicine, you might go to two different doctors and get two different opinions on what you should do and two different attorneys practice. They're practicing. They're taking the law right. and trying to apply it to your situation based off their experience or their knowledge. And, and we say that amongst um, my colleagues and myself. Yes, you take the same case, walk into three different courtrooms and come out with three drastically different rulings. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot to it. And one last question then on this subject, Adam, can the ruling be appealed? And if, if it is, so say judge says, okay, you can move away. Can parent appeal it? And then do they usually keep the child in place like status quo until the appeal is heard? Yeah, that's a really good question. I have a feeling you know the answer, but basically, um, once the order is made and say the, the order says, okay, moving parent, you're allowed to relocate the child, right? So at that point, there's what's called a 30-day stay on the order. No move is permitted. And during that 30 days, if the non-moving parent wants to appeal and bring the case up to the court of appeal, that's their opportunity to do it. And it's, it, it's a, a fast track process. It's not a 12-month appeal. You know, it moves pretty quick because, you know, you've got custody rights in the lurch and um, the court of appeal will get to it relatively quickly. Okay. But um, that's that's the and, and if you're appealing, you know, your, your best argument is going to be, well, hey, the judge didn't apply the law correctly. You know, and, and in that case, because the court of appeal looks at that de novo, which means anew, basically, hey, we look at whether you use the right legal analysis. And if they didn't, then the case gets sent back down to the trial level to redo it. Factually, though, 
if you, if your argument is, well, the court just thinks um, didn't really do the best interest analysis, right? And hey, court of appeal, you should really do the best interest analysis over. Tell us what what's the best custody situation. Well, that's not the court of appeals job. They don't look at the fact. Um, they may if if it's so overwhelming, but uh, it has to be it meet a very high threshold. Okay. Um, so you know that's something that an appellate situation, people are advised to talk to uh, really good appellate attorneys who know how that process works because um, that is an even more technical. A legal process than the trial level. And that, thank you. That's a really good point because I think people need to know, yet you need to go find an appellate attorney now. That's a very specific right. uh, part of practicing law. You're right. And and so you're not sticking with your same attorney anymore. You some, need to go. some trial attorneys will do appeals, okay. but um, in my experience, there are people who only practice appellate law right? and they are oftentimes maybe a really good choice as well. But you never know. You just have to talk to your attorney and figure out um, what the next course of action should be if you find yourself on the wrong side of a trial order yeah, about a yeah. move away. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Adam Chance, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been hugely helpful to so many people. They're thinking about consulting attorneys on this. And so I think this will answer a lot of questions so they can either go and in informed when they're consulting attorneys or just help them make up their you know mind um, at the outset if it's something they want to pursue. So I really appreciate it. It's A-S-C-H-A-N-Z-L-A-W.com if you want to look up Adam and uh, you know consult with him. He's, he's really good at a lot of other stuff just besides movies when it comes to family court. So again, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Great. It was fun. Thank you. All right. All right. Take care and uh, hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye.